When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. If you followed us for any length of time, you're well aware that we're not just pushing you to play with natural botanical method aquariums only for the pretty aesthetics. I mean, yeah, they are they look awesome, but there's so much more to it than that, as we've been talking about for years here. We're unapologetically obsessed with the function of these aquariums and the wild habitats which they attempt to represent. And one of the most important functions of many botanically influenced wild habitats is the support of what ecologists call food webs, a system of interlocking and interdependent food chains. In other words, what eats what in the aquatic ecosystem. It's a fascinating field of study that plays beautifully into what we do in our botanical method aquariums. As we've discussed before, the leaf litter zones in tropical waters are home to a remarkable diversity of life, ranging from microbial to fungal, as well as crustaceans and insects and, oh, fishes too. These life forms are the basis of complex and dynamic food webs, which are one key to the ecological productivity of these habitats. Now, by researching, developing, and managing our own botanically influenced aquariums, particularly those with leaf litter beds, we may be on the cusp of finding new ways to create nurseries for the rearing of many fishes. We've talked about that a lot over the years. Now, at least upon superficial examination, our aquarium, you know, leaf litter and botanical beds seem to function much like their wild counterparts, creating an extremely rich microhabitat within our aquariums. And initial reports from those of you who breed and rear fishes in your intentionally botanically stocked aquariums are that you're seeing you know, great color, more regularity in spawns, and higher survival rates from the fry of some species. Now, I don't believe that this is mere coincidence. I never did. We're just beginning here, and the future is wide open for huge hobbyist-level contributions that can lead to some serious breakthroughs in understanding how food webs develop in our aquariums. Maybe we'll finally overcome generations of fear over detritus and fungi and biofilms, the life forms and the byproducts which literally power the aquatic ecosystems that we strive to duplicate in our aquariums. There's something tantalizing to me about the idea of our fishes being able to supplement what we feed them by foraging in the aquarium. Now, to some extent, virtually every aquarium has some microorganisms, some algae, all that stuff, which fishes can sort of snack on in between her feedings. Yet botanical method aquariums with their abundance of decomposing leaves and the ecology which which they foster takes us to a whole different level. I'm particularly fascinated with the idea of the fry of our fishes being able to sustain themselves or supplement their diets substantially with what's produced inside the little habitat that we've created in our tanks. A botanical method aquarium is, I believe, an ideal nursery for many species of fishes to begin their lives, and the experience of many of my fish breeding friends who've played with this idea successfully helps to prove my little thesis here. Let's consider some of the types of food sources that our fishes might utilize in the wild habitats that we try so hard to replicate in our aquariums and perhaps develop 
a greater appreciation for them when they actually show up in our tanks. Perhaps we'll even attempt to foster and utilize them to our fish's benefits in unique ways. Maybe we will, right? So one of the most important resources for food resources in natural aquatic systems are what we know as macrophytes, aquatic plants, which grow in and around the water, emerge, submerge, floating, whatever. Not only do macrophytes contribute to the physical structure and the spatial organization of the water bodies that they inhabit, they're primary contributors to the overall biological stability of the habitat, conditioning the physical parameters of the water. Of course, anyone who keeps a planted aquarium could attest to that, right? Now, one of the interesting things about macrophytes is that although there are a lot of fishes which feed directly upon them, in this context, the plants themselves are perhaps most valuable as a micro, you know, microhabitat for algae, zooplankton, and other organisms which fishes feed on. Small aquatic crustaceans seek out the shelter of plants for both the food resources they provide, you know, zooplankton, diatoms, and for the protection from predators, which is, you know, our fishes. I've personally set up a couple of systems recently to play with this idea, botanical-influenced planted aquariums, and I've experimented with, you know, going long, extended periods of time without feeding my fishes who lived in these tanks, and they've remained as fat as ha- and happy as when they were added to the tanks. So, yeah, something's there, literally. Now, perhaps the most interesting to us botanical method aquarium people are epiphytes. And these are organisms which grow on the surface of plants or other you know, substrates and derive their nutrients from the surrounding environment. They're important in the nutrient cycling and uptake in both nature and the aquarium, adding to the biodiversity and serving as an important food source for many species of fishes. In the case of our aquatic habitats like streams, ponds, inundated forests, etc., Epiphytes are abundant, and many fishes will spend large amounts of time foraging the biocover on tree trunks, branches, leaves, and other botanical materials in search of them. Although most animals use leaves and tree branches for shelter and not directly as a food item, grazing on this epiphytic growth is really important and it consumes large quantities of our fish's day. Some organisms, like nematodes and chironomids, you know, bloodworms, will dig into the leaf structures and feed on the tissues themselves as well as the fungi and the bacteria found in and among them. These organisms in turn become part of the diet for many fishes. And the resulting detritus produced by the processed and decomposing plant matter is considered by many aquatic ecologists to be an extremely significant food source for many, many fishes, especially in areas like Amazonia and Southeast Asia, where the detritus is considered an essential component of the food webs in these habitats. And of course, if you observe the behavior of many of your, of your fishes in the aquariums, like kerosins, cyprinids, loricarids, and others, you'll see that in between feedings, they'll spend an awful lot of time picking at stuff on the bottom of the tank. In botanical method aquariums, this is a pretty common occurrence, and I believe it's an important benefit of the type of aquarium that we play with. I'm of the opinion that a botanical method aquarium, complete with its decomposing leaves and seed pods, may comprise a sort of botanical buffet uh, for many species, even those whose primary food sources might be things like insects and worms and stuff like that. So detritus and the organisms that live within it can provide an excellent supplemental food source for our fishes, just like in nature. It's well known by scientists that in many habitats, like inundated you know, forest floors, fishes will adjust their feeding strategies to utilize the available sources at different times of the year, such as the dry season, for example. 
And it's also known that many fish fry feed actively on bacteria and fungi in these habitats. So I suggest once again that a botanical method aquarium can be an excellent sort of nursery for many fish species. Now you'll often hear the term paraphyton mentioned in similar contexts, and I think that for our purposes we can essentially consider it the same or in the same manner as we do epiphytic matter. Uh, paraphyton is essentially a catch-all term for a mixture of cyanobacteria, algae, various microbes, and of course detritus, which is found attached or in extremely close proximity to various submerged surfaces. Again, fishes will graze on this stuff like constantly. And then of course, there's the alochthonous input that we talked about so much. Foods from the surrounding environments like flowers, fruits, terrestrial insects, etc. These are extremely important foods for many fish species that live in these habitats. And think about this, we kind of mimic this process when we feed our fishes prepared foods, right? This stuff literally rains from the sky. Now, I think that what we feed to our fishes directly in this fashion is equally as important as how it's fed. I'd like to see a lot more experimentation with foods like you know, live ants, wingless fruit flies, and other winged insects. Now, of course, I can hear the protests already. Not in my house, Felman. <laughs> I get it. I mean, who wants a plague of wing, you know, winged insects getting loose in their suburban home because of some aquarium feeding experiment gone awry, right? That likely wouldn't go over well with just about any significant other in the non-aquarium world, would it? That being said, I'd encourage some experimentation with ants and the already fairly common wingless fruit flies. Sure, you could just catch some ants outside and drop them in your tank, or you could culture them. Remember those ant farms that some of us had when we were kids? Could you imagine one day recommending an ant farm as a piece of, you know, essential aquarium food culturing equipment? It's at least as wacky as culturing, you know, peanut beetle larvae or microworms, and it's probably not nearly, nearly as messy or smelly. I mean, why not, right? And of course, easier yet we can simply foster the growth of potential food sources that don't fly or crawl around. They just arise when botanicals and wood and stuff like that meets water. We just need to not wipe them out as soon as they appear. Damn, using the collection and feeding of winged insects as an opposite example sure makes fungal growth and biofilms more palatable, doesn't it? It does, right? Now, as many of you know, I've often been sort of amused by the panic that many non-botanical method-loving you know, aquarium people express when a new piece of driftwood is submerged in their aquarium and often results in an accumulation of fungi and biofilm and they freak out. And I realize this stuff can look super shitty to a lot of people, particularly when you're trying to get, you know, set up a uh, sterile, you know, high concept uh, aquascape tank or whatever you want to call it. That being said, though, I think we need to let ourselves embrace this stuff and celebrate it for what it is. Life, sustenance, diversity, foraging material. I think that those of us who maintain botanical method aquariums have made that mental shift to understand, accept, and even celebrate the appearance of this stuff. We learn to appreciate it by looking to nature. Natural habitats are absolutely filled with this stuff. In, in every nook and cranny, on every rock, every branch, every seed pod, and every leaf, it's like the whole game here. It's an explosion of life-giving materials free for the taking. It's a priceless natural resource. It's why a long time ago, I learned not to be put off by the mere appearance of these life forms when they showed up in my early botanical method aquariums. They're literally the drivers of underwater ecology, a priceless resource which nature happily deposits into our aquariums. It's a true gift from nature. Yet, for a century or so in the hobby, 
Our first instinct is to reach for the algae scraper or the siphon hose and get it the hell out of here and lament our you know, misfortune with our friends. Oh, I got a tank full of this gooey stuff. Look, it doesn't have to be this way. Its appearance in our aquariums is a blessing. Really, you call it a mess. I call it a blessing. Your fishes call it food. It's another mental shift, I suppose. One which many of you have already made, no doubt, or I hope you have, or you can. The ability to appreciate stuff, to move beyond the fear, the loathing, and the disdain which many hobbyists have for it is truly to grow as an aquarium hobbyist. In fact, the oft-quoted, absurdly mismentioned, and interpreted and poorly applied to the point where it's almost a mockery statement by none other than the late Takashi Amano that to know Mother Nature is to love her smallest creations sums up this perfectly. It's way more important in our context than it is on a fucking t-shirt that people wear that doesn't quite match up with what they're doing. This is the real deal. Yeah, Mono got it, and you can too. Now look, I'm not going to say that your tank has to be packed with biofilms, fungal growth, inoculated with Daphnia or whatever decomposing leaves and detritus in order to provide all these benefits to your fishes. Every tank has some of this stuff present. However, I am suggesting that as hobbyists, we should allow some amount of this material to accumulate in our tanks for this express purpose of providing supplemental nutrition for our fishes. Remember, the presence of these materials doesn't signify some sort of problem with your tank, as it's so easy to conclude. Rather, their presence indicates that your aquarium's functioning very much like a natural aquatic ecosystem, that it's doing what nature has done for eons. To disrupt this process by aggressively siphoning out every gram of detritus, scraping off every bit of fungal growth or biofilm, actually inhibits or even completely disrupts processes which can benefit your tank in so many ways. Not only do fungal growth and biofilms serve as a supplemental food resource for our fishes, they literally help filter the water by processing available nutrients. And a large part of their fuel is the leaf litter, the seed pods, the wood, and the detritus, which occurs as a result of their decomposition. Yeah, we talk about this a lot around here. I know, I get it. However, it's such an important part of our philosophy and our methodology that it can't be stated often enough. And the sooner we embrace this stuff, the sooner we begin to look and realize that the lasting benefits that this stuff can bring to our aquariums are amazing, the sooner we're going to get it. Stay confident, stay bold, stay curious, stay diligent, stay studious, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feltman from Tenon Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.